You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race that marks out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him to whom endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and have your contemplatively uh, completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we are all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of the Spirit and live? The disciplined us for a little while as though thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Thanks, Alison. How's everyone's toilet paper supplies going? Three left. Look, I was going to bring along one as a gift for someone who was running low, but um, I forgot. So, look, if you're running low, come and knock on my door. I could spare you one. Hey? Knock on Alison's door then by the, si- the sounds of that. Did you hear about the family that accidentally bought 2,300 rolls of toilet paper before this crisis actually happened? So uh, a couple of weeks before this crisis, they uh, ordered toilet paper online and um, they accidentally ordered 48 cartons instead of 48 rolls. 
So they thought they were ordering just a pack of 48 rolls, but they instead ordered 48 cartons, which was about two pallet loads of toilet paper, costing them $3,264 plus about $400 in freight. <laughs> um, the, the interesting thing is, uh, this, this family, they're pastors. <laughs> and so people have been ribbing them a bit about how prophetically <laughs> having ordered uh, this toilet paper and, uh, you know, it being quite opportune that I, they had done so. And uh, as, it, as it turns out, they're now using the toilet paper as a fundraiser for their children's school. So <laughs> you, would never, you would never have thought, would you, that owning so much toilet paper could actually be a handy thing. That, that, that's right. I mean, who'd have thought that such a mistake or such a mess up could actually be worthwhile or useful in some way? You just, you just wouldn't, um, you wouldn't fathom it, would you? Um, look, was it a God-guided prophetic mistake? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Um, but hey, it's raising money for their daughter's school and it's interesting that all of a sudden there's this, this shortage of toilet paper. But it got me thinking, it got me thinking. You know, when we've messed up in some way, we've made some sort of mistake, maybe sometimes God is actually doing something of value with that mistake. You know, when we, we do something that's, that's just, we make a mess of some sort of situation or something in our life, Perhaps God can redeem that mistake for his good purposes. And I think as we start to mature in our faith, we start to learn and trust that God is at work in our difficult circumstances, not just in all our fun and easy and pleasant circumstances. And when I'm thinking about this topic of what it means to be strong in grace, I think that we are strong in grace when, when we realise that our mess and our mistakes might actually be God's way of making a masterpiece. I just want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 10. And that's not our key passage today, but I just want to lay a bit of a good foundation here for us with, with grace. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that no one, none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. So just in brief, just to get us all on the same page today, here are the things we need to know about grace. Firstly, it saves us, doesn't it? Grace saves us. Secondly, it turns us over to God. So we, we, we then uh, belong to him. We become his masterpiece, his handiwork. I know a few of us here like doing a little bit of handiwork and, and creating some, some masterpieces, don't we? So we belong to him and he begins his work on us. Number three, grace then begins work to remake us into the image of Christ. Turns us into something beautiful, something special and something purposeful. And all of that happens so that we can do the good works that he has organised for us to do. He has a plan and purpose for your life, doesn't he? So we're strong in grace when we realise that God is at work in our life making something beautiful. Do you realise that? That God 
is at work in your life making something beautiful. <laughs> we don't need to take credit for the successes in our life, do we? And, and, and on the same token, we don't need to worry about the failures either. We can turn all of our life over to him and, and we know that by grace he is making us anew in Christ so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So let's have a look at our passage from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I just want to highlight just a section of it there, starting at verse 7. And I'll just reread that, that little section again. So Hebrews 12, starting at verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Hardships, problems, difficulty, disappointments. Anyone here ever occasionally experienced any of those things? Yeah, not very often, hey? <laughs> We're all pretty well acquainted with those things, aren't we? Okay. Now, there's two ways we can look at disappointment and hardship and difficulty and, and frustration. There's two ways you can look at it. You can look at it as evidence that you're a failure, uh, evidence that God has forgotten you or God is not real, evidence that God isn't looking after you or that you're not truly saved, that you need to try harder to succeed in life or succeed in a Christian walk. Um, you, you could think of it, of it like that. A lot of people do. A lot of people do. The result of thinking like that, however, is that you're going to hate yourself, you're going to hate church, and you're going to hate God, aren't you? You'll get really tired keeping on trying to make your faith work amidst all of life's problems because there's going to be plenty of problems we face in life, aren't there? Maybe you're mentally now listing off all those problems you're facing in life right now. So that's one way you could look at hardship and difficulty. The other way we can look at it, the other way we can, we can see our struggles and our hardships is as discipline. Discipline. So discipline, and I think obviously this is the way Hebrews tells us to see our hardships and difficulties, isn't it? As God disciplining us. You know, Hebrews 12, 7, endure hardship as discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. And when I read Hebrews 12 here, I see that discipline is evidence of some pretty amazing things, some pretty good things, some things that you want, some things that you can celebrate, some things that you can enjoy, some things that can cause you to delight even in difficult, messy circumstances. So discipline is evidence that God is treating you as his child. Like you want discipline because you, you want God to treat you as a child of his, don't you? Yeah. So discipline is evidence that God is treating you as his child. Now, do we just discipline anyone? 
Do you just walk down the street, see someone's kid somewhere like at the supermarket and start disciplining them? Normally not. Sometimes it's tempting too, isn't it? But you wouldn't normally, would you? It's a special role that we have as parents, isn't it? And we discipline our own children because... Why? Because we love them or hate them? Because we love them. Now, if we didn't discipline them, it's actually a sign of a neglectful parent, isn't it? One who's disinterested or not caring about their child's welfare. When, 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 sorry, I'm catching my children's eye down the back there. It's, it's an interesting um, thing to talk about with your children in the room. Uh, we, it, when we're disciplined by God, it's evidence that he loves us and he cares about our future and the sort of people that we become. It's evidence of the fact that we are saved and we're part of his family. He's treating you as sons and daughters. So what difference would it make, I wonder, if you started to see some of your difficulties and hardships as an honour, as evidence of your status as sons and daughters, as evidence of his love for you. I mean, that's a whole new mind shift, isn't it? You know, when you can know that you are loved despite difficult circumstances, that's when you are strong in grace. Secondly, discipline is evidence that God is working in your life for good. Discipline is evidence that God is working in your life for good. Any teacher or psychologist or social worker will tell you that children who receive healthy, loving discipline and boundaries at home are kids who learn well, socialise well, they have compassion, they have empathy for, for others, they just generally do better in life, don't they? Kids that are well-disciplined. Those that don't get healthy discipline, they, they struggle to focus in the classroom, they've got behaviour problems, they have chaotic peer relationships, mental health issues, often it sort of leads to uh, drugs and, and crime and alcohol issues, etc., etc., later on in life. Now, no child enjoys discipline, do they? None. They all think they're hard done by, don't they? They all fight against it, don't they? Uh, with the exception of, uh, uh, as I was writing this, I had this memory of um, Annabelle at the age of two. Normally kids fight against discipline. But uh, at the age of two, I can't remember the exact circumstances, but she'd done something naughty that she knew was wrong. I don't know whether it was hitting one of her brothers or what it was, but she, she clearly knew that she shouldn't have done it. And so she, she did this, and then she immediately ran herself off to our timeout spot, slammed the door, and sat herself in timeout. It was like, discipline, bring it on, I know I deserve it. <laughs> it was quite funny. But generally speaking, no one likes discipline, do they? But we discipline our kids because we love them and we want to train them in what is right. We want them to grow into healthy, well-adjusted people who will contribute to the world in a good way, don't we? That's why we discipline, isn't it? Um, Hands up here who enjoys the discipline of receiving a speeding ticket? No? Parking ticket? Yeah, we don't like it, do we? We don't like it, but it's good for us because it changes our driving habits, doesn't it? So it's good for us. What difference would it make? What difference would it make if you started to look for the fruit that God is growing in you through your problems and hardships? What if you started to see the potential and the possibility? What if you could look at your messes and, and actually see 
God's masterpiece being created. What difference would that make for you in life? You know, what if you could look at your, your problems and say, you know, Lord, you're growing patience in me. What if you could look at the lack that's in your life and say, Lord, hey, I see that you're growing leadership in my life. What if you could look at the chaos and say, Lord, you know, you're growing self-control in me. What if you could look at the, the frustrations and say, Lord, you're growing faith in my life. I mean, what difference would it make if we started to look at our messes and our mistakes and our hardships like this? Don't measure the quality of your life by the mess you are in right now. Measure it by the masterpiece that you see God is making. Because when we do that, that's when we are strong in grace. The third thing about discipline is that discipline is evidence that God is training you. When I discipline my kids, it's with a distinct purpose. So when I say to them, I want you to cook a meal or clean your room or do your washing, it's not because I'm wanting to torture them. They wouldn't think that, I'm sure. But it's, it's because I'm training them, isn't it? I'm wanting them to one day be adults and to be able to cope and live on their own. And when we experience hardship and difficulty, we often conclude that it's just meaningless and random in our life, that it doesn't serve any good purpose. We think it's interrupting our good plans, don't we? Because we've got good plans, we've got a trajectory, we know where we're headed, we know what we want to see happen, and we're happily going on that trajectory, and then bam, there's a mess, a mistake, a hardship, a difficulty, something that, that, that comes up against us. And we think it's, it's random or meaningless or, or has no good purpose. What difference would it make if you started to see that difficulty and hardship as purposeful in your life? You might not be able to see what purpose. I'll give you that. It might be difficult to see what purpose it has. It might be hard to see exactly what God is up to. But what if you just started to see that hardship is a means of him training you? Training is all about becoming stronger, isn't it? When an athlete trains, they become stronger and more skilled and more adept at, at doing what they need to do so that they can win that race, so that they can conquer with victory. I don't know what God is strengthening you or rehearsing you for in life, whether it's now or in eternity, but I do know he is doing that in your life right now, right now. You know, over the years I've worked in a few different jobs that have been quite challenging and difficult for me on a personal level. And... Um, I'd regularly want to quit those jobs. But, but one of the things that, that kept me at it was that I just had this, this sense that God was training me and giving me skills that would be useful and vital and essential later in life. And, you know, there was a, a, a situation I was in recently where all of a sudden some of my, my personal struggles and some of the professional things I'd learned sort of came together and, and gave me skill and ability and insight to, to manage this situation in a way that I wouldn't have had if God hadn't trained me through those difficult, hard times. If I, if I hadn't had though, that training, I wouldn't have been able to do the good work that God had planned for me to do. 
I think our hardest part is to trust him in this process, isn't it? Would you agree? The hardest part is to just trust him and, and to have faith in the process and have faith in him, to work with him in our training rather than trying to fight against it and run away. Because we often try and fight against it and run away, don't we? Don't focus on the messy situation you're in. Look forward to the future, to the masterpiece he is training you to be. Discipline is also evidence that your holy, heavenly Father is growing holiness in you. It's evidence that your heavenly Father is growing holiness in you. God has certain things for you to do in life. So we read that in Ephesians 2.10. He has these good works he's prepared in advance for us to do. But most importantly, aside from what he has for you to do, he has a plan for who he wants you to be. There's a plan for who he wants you to be. This is all about character. This is all about values. He wants to grow holiness in us, doesn't he? He wants to remake us into the image of Christ. Hebrews 12.11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The best parents are the ones who discipline their children so that they grow in character because character will shape behaviour far better in the long run than simply trying to change or manipulate uh, behaviour on its own. Has anyone here ever read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Yep, very well-known book, very well-known. He, he did a bit of research and, and in this research he found that success used to be focused on the ethic of character. So back in the day, success was, was measured by one's integrity and humility and courage and justice and patience and modesty. So if you had good character, you would be successful in life. Okay? So true, true success in life founded on, on, on this, this character. Around the time of the, the world wars, though, he noticed that, that literature, there was this change in how people viewed uh, success and what it took to have a successful, meaningful life. And he found that, that increasingly living a successful, meaningful life became based on things like your behaviour and your personality, on techniques, on positive mental attitudes. You know, if you had the right techniques, if you had the right ability to communicate, if you had a positive attitude, you know, you'd do well in life. So can you see the contrast there? Now, at the time, he and his wife were having some issues with parenting their son. He was struggling academically, struggling socially, struggling athletically. You know, all around, he was just struggling. And they tried to, you know, pep talk him up and, come on, son, you're awesome, you can do it. And they tried to defend him when people would pick on him. They tried to be just positive and, and, um, and, and do, do what they could do. But it didn't work. It didn't change their son. And what he and his wife realised was that they'd been parenting their son around behaviour modification, trying to sort of manipulate him into an acceptable social mould because they felt insecure as parents and people. Like they were worried about what other people would think of them as parents and so that was sort of their whole motivation for trying to change and shift and manipulate his behaviour because they were worried about how they'd appear to others. And they wanted to be seen by others as good parents and so that was sort of motivating what they were doing with their son. And so what they started to do is they started to focus on developing good character traits in themselves 
and in their son. And when they started focusing on developing character, do you know what happened? Their son began to bloom and blossom. And, and socially, he did well. Academically, he started to do well. And athletically, he started to do well. So the key is character. God has always valued character, righteousness, holiness, a Christ-like character. That's the foundation for our life. That's the foundation for doing well in life. That's what God has for us. More than what we do, more than what others see us to be, be doing out there in the world, it's who we are that really counts and matters. And so don't worry so much about your daily doings. Don't worry about them. Be worried about who you are. Be concerned about your character. God wants to develop character in you. Righteousness, peace, holiness. You know, God is, is, is not so much worried about what you get up each day and do when your feet hit the floor. He's more worried about how you do those things. How you do them. And when we have the character of Christ developed in us, our life is going to be more successful, both in the ways God sees success, but also I think in the way the world measures success too. The thing with the discipline of character is that it takes time. It takes time. And no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Later on, however, it produces a good harvest. So whatever is happening to you right now might not seem to have much value. But trust that God's got it in hand and that he's working on your character. And that is far more precious than gold. It really is. We've got to get a hold of this stuff that it's not so much about the, the image we present to the world and all the successes and the things we achieve. It's about what's happening in here. It's about having the character of Christ formed in us. He's forming Christ in you. He's making you anew in Jesus. So the areas of your life that you might currently be struggling in or making some mistakes in or are feeling challenged by, I wonder what character Christ is forming in you through those situations. Is it humility? Is it peace? Is it self-control? Is it justice? Is it love? Is it faith? Do you know your current mess is actually really his masterpiece in the making? So, what should we do? What should we do? Hebrews 12.9 Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? What should we do? Well, firstly, we should respect God. Honour him as God and respect that he has the right to shape and train your life any way he chooses. Any way. We are the potter. I mean, no, we are the clay. He's the potter. Wrong way around. Hey? What right does the pot say, have to say to the potter, you know, why have you made me this way? Why are you doing this? What's going on? Respect God. Trust that he knows what he is doing. You know, it's not my will, but yours be done, O oh Lord. It's waking up each day saying, I don't understand, Lord, but I will trust you. I will trust you. 
The second thing we should do is submit to God's discipline and training. Allow him to do it. Work with him. Don't fight against it. Don't allow his discipline to discourage you or cause you to become bitter. Don't run away from God. Don't run away from church life just because it's hard. You know, church life is the one key place God often trains and disciplines us, but it's often the first place people run from when things get a bit difficult. Before you run or avoid when, when life gets tough, ask, is this part of God's handiwork? Is God using this to make a masterpiece? Hebrews 12, 4-5. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Finally, he understands how difficult life is. God knows that there are hard, painful situations you face. He knows the disappointment, the grief you struggle with. Daily life is tiring. It can be confusing, draining. There, there can be conflict. There's the mess of life. And he knows what it is to struggle against sin to the point of shedding blood. And so his word to you is to endure. Receive those circumstances as one that God trains and perfects you because he loves you. This is not the discipline of an angry father. It is the discipline of a father who loves you and wants to bring out the best in you, who wants to guide you and see Christ formed in you. You know, he's making you into his masterpiece. We don't endure on our own. His grace is a gift to us. His grace gives us power and gives us strength to endure. And not just endure, but endure with joy. Hebrews 12, 2-3. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus. Look to him. And this is a daily turning to Jesus. You know, we, we could look at our mess. We could look at our mistakes. We could look at our hardships. Or we could turn and look to Jesus. So don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Be strong in grace and realise that you are sons and daughters and he's turning you into his masterpiece. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, may, may the truth of your word sink deep into our souls this afternoon. May we have a supernatural ability to see mess and mistake as, as the potential for you to create a masterpiece in our life and the lives of others we love. Father, we, do, we just consecrate to you all of our difficult, messy, hard circumstances in life, both today and into the future, and we give them to you. And we say, Lord, would you just turn them into a masterpiece? Would you just shape character in our life? Would you just shape the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life? May we be a people who, who have the image of Christ formed in us. We thank you, Lord, that, that you discipline us as a father disciplines a son. And so we thank you for the precious truth and encouragement that it is to be disciplined by our Heavenly Father. And may we look to you in faith when things are difficult. May we turn to you, Jesus, and may we encourage one another to do the same thing. 
Father, all that we have belongs to you and we give you our hearts and our lives afresh this afternoon. And we say, have your way in us, Lord God Almighty. Have your way in us. We thank you for your precious Holy Spirit that fills us with, with the power to endure when times are difficult. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us wisdom and revelation and knowledge and insight that enables us to see supernaturally what you are doing in our life. We thank you for the strength of grace at work in our life that enables us to endure these difficult times. Thank you, Father, that, that through all these things we might experience a great and, and deep joy in our life. Holy Spirit, just come and just refresh and bring joy into our daily walk and our daily life. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your work. We praise you. We honour you. In Jesus' name, Amen.